And I want to invite you to take your Bible tonight and turn with me to the book of Hebrews in chapter number 10. Chapter number 10. And you're going to have to, you're going to, have to think with me tonight because this is one of those hard passages in the Bible. And so we're going we're gonna, to, I hope you like T-bone steak. Because this is T-bone steak tonight. This is not milk, <laughs> all right? This is the word of God. And I, I, I want it to be a help to you tonight, and I trust it will be. Hebrews chapter 10. If you're able, would you stand with me and honor the word of God tonight? And I'm going to begin reading verse number 26 of Hebrews chapter 10. The Bible says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice, notice this, for sins, that's plural, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, notice this, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Father, I want to thank you tonight for the inspired, preserved word of God that we're able to stand and, and just read and look at it tonight. And it has something to say to us. And Lord, I'm asking tonight, there's nothing that I can say that's going to help anybody. And I, I just really need you to fill me and to control me and to help me to communicate the message in this passage tonight. I pray you give us ears and I pray you give us hearts to hear and understand the message that the writer was trying to relate to those that lived almost 2,000 years ago but is still relevant to us in this day and time. So I'm going to ask that you'll bless now and have your will and way in this service in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to just submit to you, I pastored for 26 years and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to submit something for you to think about tonight that's something that I notice and I still notice it a little bit that people that are saved and born again and they're on their way to heaven and sometimes if we're not careful we get the idea that well I'm saved, I'm going to heaven my sin's not that big of a deal. It's already been put on Jesus Christ and it really doesn't matter. Now I'm going to submit to you tonight that the Bible clearly teaches that sin in the life of a believer is a very serious matter. It is not to be taken lightly. I believe in some sense sin in the life of a child of God is even more serious than that of someone that's not saved because you and I have better knowledge. You and I have the Spirit of God that indwells us and helps us to do right. Now, this passage here, it, it's a difficult passage. It, it's not going to be the easiest one we're going to deal with, but I think it's very clear. When I get through with it tonight, I hope you say, that really helped, that was encouragement, and I can see that, all right? But this, this passage is the fourth encouragement passage. It is a warning passage. There are five of them in the book of Hebrews, and I'm not going to take the time to go through all of them tonight, but they're addressed to 
believers here in this passage. And I want you to understand that there is in this sense tonight that a believer can allow sin to get such a firm grip on their lives that they openly disobey the word of God. And that's a serious place to get in your life. Now, let's just acknowledge something tonight. So just stay with me for just a moment. This passage that we're going to look at uh, has elicited a great deal of opinions, a difference of opinion on what this passage is talking about. Okay, so let me just clear up here. We're not talking about losing your salvation because that's eternal. That, that's not even what the passage is about. But really where the debate comes in is, is he talking to lost people here or is he talking to saved people, all right? So I'm going to tell you, I'm of the opinion he's talking to believers. Do you have anything to base that upon, Rocky Harrell? Well, I, I believe I do. So let me give you four reasons just as we get started here just to get into this. Number one, I want you to notice here in verse number 26, notice he uses the pronoun we. In fact, he uses it twice. Now, if you were to go back to verse 22, verse 23, verse 24, the writer says, if you want to say it's Paul, who, I, all right, we'll say it was Paul. Paul says, let us, let us, let us. And then he says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And the passage in the previous context is dealing with saved people. It goes right into verse 26. I believe it's dealing with saved people here with the personal pronoun. But I want you to notice something else there in verse 26. Watch this. He said, after that you've received the knowledge of the truth. Now the word received there, you can check this out, is, is a definite act. We have received in a definite manner the knowledge of the truth. The word knowledge there is a, is a full knowledge. It is just not an acquaintance with the knowledge of salvation or the way of salvation. You get to know salvation. You're receiving the knowledge of the truth. And by the way, that is something only that a believer can receive after salvation. In fact, Paul uses similar language in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. When you got saved, you got all you're getting. You came into the knowledge of the truth. All right, number three. Here's the third reason I think he's talking about saved people. Look down verse 29. Look at that. Wherewith he was sanctified. Now sanctified simply means set apart. And I don't want to get lost here, but can I just tell you, when you got saved, positionally, you were set apart in Jesus Christ for eternity. Oh, where do you get that from, Harold? Well, look at your Bible there. Look at chapter 10. Look at verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Okay, I know there's progressive sanctification. I understand that. But I'm talking about positionally. When you get saved, you are positionally forever sanctified. You are set apart in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I think there's also a fourth reason. Look at verse 30. The Lord shall judge whose people? His people. That's what the context seems to be bearing out here. And so this, this passage is dealing with deliberate sin in the life of a believer. Now understand this tonight. I'm just telling what the Bible says here. I do not believe the writer's primarily talking about an occasional uh, failure or a slip or maybe something that someone falls into, we say, inadvertently. Notice that word willfully. Everybody see that there? Willfully. That's intentional sin. That is defiant sin. That is rebellion. That is maliciously sinning on purpose. I'm going to do wrong because I want to. 
I don't want to do right. So this passage here, we're going to talk about tonight. I'm just setting the table here. We're going to preach here in just a second. I'm just showing you that this passage here is referring to premeditated sin against God. And God has something to say about it, all right? One other thing. I want you to notice the verb sin. Sin is in the present tense. And it speaks of a lifestyle of sin. It is a repeated disobedience. I'm continually doing this over and over and over. So I'm preaching like this. The damage of deliberate sin in the life of a believer. All right. So I want you to notice three reasons why the, the text tells us here that deliberate sin, defiant sin, is damaging in the life of a believer. All right. Here's the first thing. I want you to notice this. I want to talk about the practice of deliberate sin. How, what, when you practice deliberate sin, what does it produce, all right? There are two items that it produces. Look at verse 26. I'm not gonna read it again. I'm gonna point some things out here. But here is one of the practices of deliberate sin. You deny Christ's power. Oh, what does that mean, all right? Let's look at this here. Sin in your life, if you intentionally sin on purpose in your life, you're denying Christ's power to live a victorious Christian life. If you sin deliberately after you have received the knowledge of the truth, the Bible says there remaineth no more sacrifices for sins. And I tried to emphasize that because it's plural. Somebody says, well, what in the world does that mean? All right. Paul here is addressing, I didn't even get to this because I'm trying to save some time, but he's addressing Jewish converts that came out of Judaism and went to Jesus and got saved. And now because of difficulties in their life, they're thinking about going back to Judaism. And all through the book of Hebrews, here's what Paul is saying. Jesus is better. This is better than what you came out of, all right? So you need to understand that he is writing primarily to people that came out of Judaism in that, in that particular day. And so to the Jews, there was this day called the Day of Atonement. And the high priest would go in to the holy place and he would make a sacrifice for all the sins of the people for all that year. And God made an atonement. Please listen, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away their sins. But God covered it, and as one man said, and I think he's right, God forgave those people without a proper basis of doing it. It was on account. Let's say it this way, credit. Because they couldn't go to heaven because it hadn't been paid for yet. Is everybody with me? So they were, God used that, it was a covering. But, but here's the point, I, I don't want to get lost here. Listen to this. But there was no provision in the Old Testament that was made for what we would call Old Test in Old Testament willful or presumptuous sins. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, ladies and gentlemen, he died for sin and sins. Right Now you need to look at this. Look at chapter 9. Go back to Hebrews chapter 9. I just want to show this to you. Verse 26, Hebrews 9, 26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the world hath he appeared to put away, put away what? Sin. sin. It's singular. Is that correct? Put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Look at chapter 10. Look at verse number 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for, what's the word? It's plural, is that right? 
So somebody says, all right, singular, plural, what's the difference? What is the distinction between sin and sinners and sins? Sin and sins, all right? The Bible declares that you and I are sinners in two ways. Number one, we are sinners not only because we commit acts of sin, because we have a sin nature, we're born with a sin nature, because you don't have to teach your kids how to lie. You don't have to teach them how to be stingy. Why? Because they're born that way. It's a sin nature. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, ladies and gentlemen, he had to pay the price not only for our individual sins, but he also had to deal with our sin nature. And therefore, when he did that, when I get saved, I become a partaker of the divine nature. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 4. The Spirit of God moves into me. And now I can change my want to. Can I just tell you, before you got saved, you were a pushover for the devil. You couldn't resist him. You couldn't do right. But when you got saved, when you repented, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He gave you his nature. He gave you his Holy Spirit. And therefore, now I want to do right. Now I can do right. I am able to do that in my own individual life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if I... If I am yielded to the Holy Spirit of God and I have his influence because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for my life, I can live a victorious Christian life. I will not allow, listen, I will not allow sin to reign over me. But listen to me, if you deny the power of Christ's cross in your life, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. There is nothing else that God can do for you. There's nothing else that can be done. Does everybody listen to this? There's nothing else to be done. Because Jesus Christ already did everything that he can do for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. So listen to this. For a Christian to live deliberately in sin is to deny Christ's power. Listen to this. And in a sense, it is repudiating the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I'm going to come to that here in just a moment. And such a believer is saying, it really doesn't matter to me that I have the power to live the Christ-like life and that I can live a victorious life. I want to live how I want to live. I want to do what I want to do. And if you reject the power of Jesus Christ's cross in your life, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing else that God can do to help you overcome sin. There's not enough water in that baptistry. There's not enough good deeds. There's not enough rituals you can do because it's only through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ that you and I can live a victorious life. I want you to notice this. Not only does it deny Christ's power, but look here at verse 27. The practice of deliberate sin is it disregards Christ's judgment. Now watch this. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Oh, what is that talking about? All right, stay with me. Our sins were put on Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And all of my sins were future 2,000 years ago. Is that right? So Jesus died for all my sins, all right? I, I understand that. But let me tell you what there is. There's a judgment seat of Christ coming. And when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, it is not to determine whether we get to go into heaven because that's all, if you're at the judgment seat of Christ, you're moving. You're going into heaven. But if we're at the judgment seat of Christ, we are a child of God. And listen to me, at the judgment seat of Christ, would you just listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11? He said, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then he said in verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, 
Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So to make sure I say this so we're all on the same page here, the only way that you're saved is to have the foundational experience of putting, trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But after you get saved, you're not done. No, your salvation is done. But God still has something he wants you to do. He wants you to build on that foundation. And you can use gold, you can use silver, you can use precious stones, or you can use wood, hay, and stubble. And that would certainly, that would certainly include deliberate sin in your life. And then the Bible says, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, so as by fire. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're all going to be thankful to be at the judgment seat of Christ because we're not going to hell. But everybody's going to have a little bit different experience there. Is everybody with me? And the fire is going to reveal what's really gone on in your life. You see, your pastor doesn't know, and I don't know why people do what they do as a pastor. I never do that, but he does. He knows the motives. He understands all that. All that's going to come out at the judgment seat of Christ, ladies and gentlemen. And let me tell you something. Many times, I, I believe that if I understand the Bible right, there are going to be many people that are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. They're going to heaven, and all they're going to have is just ashes. Everything's been burned up. Well, I, I believe if I read my Bible right there, there is a fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation that's going to devour the adversaries. Now that's an interesting word because the word adversaries there, the word is translated adversaries, it only shows up one other time in the New Testament. It shows up in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 14 in our King James Bible. And in that place, listen, it's translated contrary. The idea is those who oppose and are contrary. I say to you that the greatest handicap that a church can have is the unsatisfactory lives of professing believers who are allowing deliberate sin in their life and not confessing it to God. That's contrary. That's an adversary. Please listen. That's an adversary. I'm not, please, I'm not saying you're lost, you're going to hell, you need to get... I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven and I have this foundational experience but I'm allowing deliberate sin in my life and I'm not doing right, I'm going to have to give an account of that at the judgment seat of Christ and that's not going to be a fun thing. So he talks about the practice of deliberate sin. You deny Christ's power through the cross and you disregard Christ's judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. Here's the second thing, real quick. Look at verse 28 and 29. I don't know, to me this is just wow. But he gives us here in, in crystal clear terms the punishment for deliberate sin in a, in a believer's life. So look at verse 28. Because people say, I tell you what, I'm glad I live in the New Testament. Well, I am too. And I'm glad I'm under grace, but I'm going to tell you, that doesn't mean you live any way you want to. All right, so look here in verse number 28, because he starts, Paul starts with the Old Testament. And how was it in the Old Testament? Well, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. So under the law of Moses, when a person rejected God's word, when they lived in open, defiant rebellion, they died if two or three witnesses said uh, they did it. 
That comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. You have to have two or three witnesses, all right? So let's understand this. I think you do. Let's just make sure we're with it, all right? The Old Testament had some very severe requirements. I like this one. I think it'd help our day if we had this, but we don't. But it, it, in another day, we did. But here, here's how serious. I'm, listen, here's how serious God was in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18 through 21. God said, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who's a glutton and a drunkard, and he won't obey the voice of his mom and his dad, take him out and stone him. That is so what. Well, I'll tell you, one example to clear up a whole lot of uh, defiance. Is everybody with me? Just one example. But I'm telling you, that's severe. Let me say this to you. You don't need to turn, but in the, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, verse 10, God said you put the adulterer and the adulteress to death. That's severe. There's nothing easy about that. I like this one. This is a very severe one. Here's a guy in Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 through 36. All he's doing, listen, all he's doing is picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. And they stoned him. That's severe. Is everybody with me? That's a law. I don't like that. Well, I'm going to tell you there are two reasons why the law was severe. Number one, God wants us to know he hates sin. God's not Grandpa and God's not Santa Claus and say, well, it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, God hates sin. Number two, God wants us to know he's a holy God. He's holy. That means he's not like us. He's other than us. Now, we're supposed to be holy like he is, but God is a holy God. And God, oh, listen to this. If you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus Christ, God loves you, but he hates your sin. He hates your sin. And the Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen, it was very, very severe. Now, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you as God's people, we ought to hate sin. And when your pastor gets up and he starts preaching against whatever's, whatever's going on, you ought to say, praise God, hallelujah, we got somebody to say what God said. Amen, Brother Rocky, that's right, because it is right. But you know what I found, Pastor? I found that when I get off and just claw up the space when I was a pastor, I get people get mad at me. And they, listen, they get more mad at the preacher for saying what God said than they did the people that are living wicked and evil out here, like the liquor crowd or the pornography crowd. I'm just saying to you, so I don't want to get off base here. The Old Testament was severe. If that's how it was in the Old Testament, people say, well, it must be easier in the New Testament. Well, let's look here at verse 29. Because that's not what Paul said. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he, bought, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. All right, watch this. If that's the way it was under the law of Moses, what do you think it's going to be like in the New Testament? Because the greater the knowledge, the greater the sin. So if you'll notice this here, of how much sore punishment shall he be thought worthy. And then Paul, under divine inspiration, paints one of the saddest pictures in the whole Bible of someone that what we would call a believer living in deliberate sin. And the three items here that he gives, and they all start with half. Number one, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are allowing deliberate sin in your life, 
You are repudiating. You are rejecting God's son. Listen to this. You are trampling on the son of God. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, if the salt's no good, you just throw it out and men walk upon it. And when people, when God's people that are saved and going to heaven and they allow deliberate sin in their life, they are stomping, they are trotting. That's what I think of Jesus. And you say, I don't know, I would never say that. But your actions say something else. I'm just telling you what Paul said here. He said that's what they're doing. They're trotting underfoot the Son of God. But they also do something else here. Notice the second thing he said they do. They have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. If you are deliberately living in intentional, on-purpose sin, you are despising God's sacrifice. That's what Paul says here. I am repudiating the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you notice that word unholy? Because the word, un the word unholy there is common it is unconsecrated. It has no atoning efficacy. But it does because it's the blood of Jesus Christ. And people that have deliberate sin can say, I don't care that he shed his blood for me. I'm going to live how I want to. You're saying, spit on the blood. It's no good. Does everybody listen to this? This is serious stuff. This isn't something just, that's <laughs> not a big deal. It's a big deal. But then notice this. He said the third thing they've done, they have done despite under the spirit of grace. Now that's an interesting word, that word despite. It's the only time this particular Greek word shows up in the New Testament. It doesn't show up anywhere else. It is to insult. It is to reproach. It is to outrage. In fact, it is the worst kind of indecent insult that you can give to someone. So when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior whenever you did that, the Spirit of God came to indwell you. By the way, he never disindwells you. You are permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. So he never leaves you and your body is the temple of God. And God's Holy Spirit is the divine person in you that causes you to live a holy, clean, pure, dedicated life. Because I can't do it in my own strength. I've got to have him. I've got to die to self. Every morning I get up and I say, I got to die today because I can't live this life in my own strength. I have the Holy Spirit of God to do that through me. But when you sin, you grieve him. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed in the day of redemption. Ephesians 4 verse 30. So listen to this. If you live, if I live in intentional, defiant sin, I am treating the precious Holy Spirit with contempt. I, I, I'm just, how outrageous could that be? Well, I'm not trying to be outrageous, but think of it this way. Just think of it this way. Suppose a husband brings home another woman and he's married to his wife and he says, I don't care what you think, she's staying here. That's an insult. And it's time for ball bat city time. Yeah. Amen. That's not in the notes, but that's good preaching. Yeah. You know what that is? That's what people do with the Spirit of God. He lives inside of you. And you're sitting and you're scrolling through pornography on your screen or your phone. And you're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. 
and you're allowing filthy communication to come out of your mouth and you're grieving the Spirit of God. And you're watching things that no Christian ought to watch and a lot of flesh and you're grieving the Spirit of God. Is everybody listening to this? We're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that that is not what we're to do. What are we to do? We're to confess our sins and we're to tell God we're sorry so that we do not do insult to the Holy Spirit of God. So, I, I know. I know how people are. I don't commit adultery. Okay, well, praise God. I haven't killed anybody. Well, hallelujah. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't robbed a bank. Yes, but listen to this. You may not have sins of the flesh, but you might have sins of the spirit that nobody sees. I'm amazed in my travels. I'm amazed at how much unforgiveness goes on in the lives of God's people. Against a brother, against a sister in the New Testament church. I'm I'm, I'm telling you, God's not pleased with that. That grieves the Spirit of God. Bitterness in the life of a believer, what does that do? That only brings, that's just like acid on the inside. It eats you away. I'm here to tell you that's a deliberate, a deliberate sin. Yes, right. So you may not have all the sins of the flesh. I'm a good person. Yeah, but you might have hate in your heart, and Jesus said that's murder. And you may have never committed adultery with somebody, with another woman or another man. You may have never done that, but you have lust in your heart. It's deliberate sin, and it needs to be dealt with because God's going to deal with it. Is that your opinion, Harold? No, that's Bible. And that's the last thing I want to give you tonight. In verse 30 and 31, Paul gives us a promise of deliberate sin. If you allow deliberate sin in your life, God's going to deal with it. Now there are two ways he's going to deal with it. So look at verse 30 real quick. Look at this. For we know him that saith, vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. So I'm just going to submit to you tonight that God does not tolerate bold, malicious rebellion in his people. He does it. I'm thank, listen, I'm thankful he's long-suffering. I'm thankful he's patient. But it's not going to go on forever because he will discipline us if we don't get it right. So when he uses this here, I need to explain this in verse number 30, vengeance belong unto the Lord. That's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35 and 36. So please understand this. When vengeance is applied to God, it has, it has no thought of vindictiveness. It has no thought of getting even or getting a pound of flesh. It simply means meeting out what this individual deserves. You're just getting what you deserve. I think another way to say it would be this way. Paul said it this way. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. I'm reading through my Bible. I read through it this morning, my Bible reading. I'm in 2 Samuel, and I read chapter 11. And every time I read that, I am, I, 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 how can a man like David do the deeds that he did in his life? He was a man after God's own heart. But listen to me, he allowed defiant, rebellious sin in his life. What did God do? God disciplined him. I would submit to you for the rest of his life he was disciplined by God and he bore the scars of that in his life. Please listen to me. Please listen. If you read 
Psalm 51, he confessed it and got it right. But I like to tell everybody, 1 John 1, 9 doesn't take away all the consequences of sin. There are consequences. There are scars. And I'm not going to have you turn, but you can just turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. And Paul goes into this dissertation in verses 5 down through verse number 8. That if you're a child of God, and I'm paraphrasing, if you're a child of God, God's going to discipline you. And if he doesn't, you're not one of his. That's not my words, that's his words. Now, I'm, I am, I am, I don't know anybody's heart, anybody's motives, but I'm just going to tell you, I know a young man from many years ago that I pastored who made a profession, who has never lived a victorious Christian life, who had good parents, who spent a year in Bible college, if not two, if memory serves me right, who spent a year or two in Bible college and has never been anything, never anything but just problems in his life and immoral and let me tell you something. Does everybody listen to this? And God not one time has ever chastened him. I wouldn't bet my salvation on that. Does everybody listen to me? Well, he may be just to say, well, he may be, but I'm here to tell you, my Bible says whom God loves, he chastens. And primarily, listen to me, primarily he's going to do that through the word of God. He will do that through the word of God. He will do that as your pastor preaches and teaches the word of God. He will chasten you. I believe that's the primary way he does it. But I'm going to tell you, if that doesn't work, he can always step it up a notch. Because the Lord is going to judge his people. And then look at verse 31. He's going to discipline you. He said it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. What does that mean? Well, there's another way God can discipline you. He can take you out. First John chapter 5, verse 16. Let's make sure I give you the right verse here. I believe that's right. Uh, John says, there is a sin unto death. That's not a particular sin. Is everybody with me? That, oh, I committed a sin. I committed the sin unto death. No, I'm here to tell you that if you allow deliberate defiant sin to go on and go on and go on and go on, there's going to come a time that God's going to say, that's it. Get up here. It's a sin unto death. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I believe it's verse number 30, when they didn't come to the Lord's table right, the Bible says a lot of them sick and a lot of them died. What's that called? Well, that's called a sin unto death in that particular passage. But ladies and gentlemen, please listen to this. Here's the wonderful news tonight. You don't have to fall in the hands of the living God. For judgment, you can fall in the hands of the living God for mercy. Because I'm so thankful that I have a merciful Heavenly Father who is willing to forgive, who is willing to pardon. If I will simply say, you know, I've got some things, I've got some things in my life, maybe sins of the flesh, maybe sins of the spirit that nobody knows about. And I just need to get this right. I'm here to tell you that the Spirit of God can point it out to you better than any preacher. And it could be right now that somebody's sitting here. It could be, I don't know. I I this is where I, the Lord had me tonight. Hadn't been preaching all that. I haven't preached this anywhere else this summer. Right here is it. Maybe somebody needs to hear this tonight. But I like this. Listen to this. David said in 2 Samuel 24 verse 14. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great. I'm thankful I have a God that's good. I think I have a heavenly father that's great and wants to forgive me. Let me tell you something. He won't put up with sin forever. 
This will be close. I'm done. I have four children. I love them. And uh, they're just, you know, they're, they're good kids. Uh, they are. I love them. I'm, I didn't do, wasn't perfect. Wasn't perfect. Far from it. But I'll tell you one thing I didn't tolerate. Disobedience. I'm not putting up with that. And you may, and, and you may do it once or twice and get rebuked, but there's coming a time, the hammer's coming down, and you're going to feel dad's wrath. Not because dad's mad, because dad loves you and wants you to do right. Is everybody listening to this? God is the same way. God is merciful. He is, he is gracious, and he wants to forgive. And no, he doesn't bring the hammer down just like a father does it on his children. He tries to correct them and love them. But I'm here to tell you, you can't go on forever without God saying, ah, that's enough. I just want to encourage you tonight. I want to encourage you, number one, whoever, whatever you're at in your life, don't hang on to the sins of the Spirit that nobody can see, that nobody knows about. Because God sees it. Your pastor can't see it. I can see when people do wrong. I can see when people are living sin. I can see all that, but I can't see what's going on on the inside. I'm just here to tell you, sin is sin with God. I know there are different consequences. I totally get that. But I'm asking you tonight, would you look and see that deliberate sin is very damaging to a child of God? I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you so much for your kind attention to the Word of God tonight. I I appreciate that very much. I'm going to ask a couple of questions and I'm going to start the invitation, hand it over to the pastor and he can lead as he sees fit. And I'm certainly, I am not the Holy Spirit here tonight. I, I don't even know everything going on in this church. I just met a lot of people tonight, but you, you know what's going on in your life. And the Spirit of God is well able to put His finger down in your life tonight. And I'm asking you, is there deliberate, willful, unconfessed sin in your life today? Are you living in the power of the cross daily in your life? Are, are you living contrary to God's will? I'm going to do what I want to. Maybe we ought to ask what kind of material are we laying up in heaven? Are we laying gold and silver and precious stones or just all wood, hay and stubble, just whatever I want to do? And if you had this deliberate sin, would you just think for a moment that the Bible says you're trotting underfoot the Son of God? The blood is an unholy thing. You've done despite to the Holy Spirit of grace. I'm just asking you, stop and think about it for your sake maybe there's somebody here tonight not saved I'm telling you you're in a great place tonight someone would love to take a Bible show you how to get saved but you're here tonight and you say brother Rocky I'm here I'm saved I'm a child of God there's no doubt about it I'm on my way to heaven I'd just like you to pray for me is there anybody like that at all tonight God bless you God bless you anyone else between you and the Lord I'm going to pray for you All right, let's stand together tonight Lord I love you I thank you for your word Certainly want to be clear tonight. Want to try to communicate the truth of this passage. I pray for the hands that were raised tonight. I pray for all that's going on in individual hearts and lives. I pray that your people would simply be responsive to what you've spoken to their heart. And God, have your will and way in this invitation time, I pray now in Jesus' name.